0: As we push into this final week of Lent, I thought it would be appropriate to revisit Monsignor Ronald Knox as he goes into the Our Father in great detail. What I have for you is a sermon that was published in an ancient book of his called the Pastoral Sermons of Ronald A. Knox. Monsignor Knox was one of the great theologians of pre theologians of the 20, late 19th, early 20th century, and today is probably best known for his own translation of the Bible into English, which tries to have that, I want to say, poetry that the uh, KJV has, the King James Version, but is not the King James Version, is a Catholic translation, and is, of course, not associated with one of history's great scoundrels, King James. His his Bible translation was authorized, and I find it to be a very beautiful Bible for—appropriate for, I think, individual study. But if you want to go deeper into the linguistics and the deeper meanings of things, you probably want to stick with a Dewey Rheims or some other harder study Bible. But if you want something that's good for a just individual reading and is completely traditional and doesn't contain little— Nuggets of heresies in the translations or in the footnotes. The R- Monsignor Knox translation is a fine translation, and I like it. But I have his pastoral sermons here, and we've been going over for the last few months the Our Father, the Pater Noster, and so today we give I give you the gifts of God. Give us this day our daily bread, by Monsignor Ronald Knox. I was pointing out last week that we had commented on nearly half the paternoster, without coming across so far anything in the nature of a petition. Nearly half of it consists of a majestic series of aspirations. We are to claim God's fatherhood, reminding ourselves of all the subtle associations which that word has. We are to measure something of the distance between his heavenly and our earthly being. We are to abjure and to wish away, whether in ourselves or in the world of men around us, all that spirit of rebellion which resists his sovereignty. We are to will his will, identify ourselves freely with it, putting away from our minds all instinct of self-regard. Hitherto we have not asked him for anything. And you may imagine the holy apostles, who had desired him to teach them how to pray, looking up at him with rather long faces, wondering whether, after all, he was going to sanction for them that deeply-rooted instinct which binds man go to God and talk to him about his own human needs. After all, this notion of petitioning God for the things we want is very far from being self-evident. As our Lord himself points out, our Heavenly Father knows what things it is we need. Keria est So the heathen poet wrote of his heathen gods, They love man better than man loves himself. And when you consider that in his ordinary dealings with creation, God observes regular laws, which operate independently of our human worthiness or unworthiness, makes his sun to shine upon the evil and the good, sends rain upon the just and upon the unjust. When you consider that God is immutable in his purposes as in his own nature— When you consider that it really matters very little what happens to us in this world, so long as we learn to submit our wills to the divine will, you might easily imagine that there is not much room left in the scheme of things for prayer, if by prayer we mean asking God to satisfy our needs. Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Perhaps the ascetic with his desert food and his coat of camel's hair had taught his disciples to pray for very little in this world. Would our Lord go further and tell them to pray for nothing at all? Their fears, if they thought that, were to be disappointed. As he reaches the middle of his prayer, our Lord makes it quite clear that the instinct of humanity is right. God does want us to ask for the satisfaction of our needs. And lest there should be any doubt about it, he takes a gross physical need as typical of the rest. We might have supposed, I mean, that he who taught us not to be afraid of those who could destroy the body, but only of one who could destroy both body and soul in perdition, would observe the same distinction here. Would teach us to ask, indeed, but only to ask, what was profitable for our souls. That body... What does the body matter, after all, which lives and is important to us for so brief a time, which can be put out of gear and fatally by the smallest accident in its surroundings? Far better when we take to our knees to ask for benefits really worth having, for grace that will strengthen the immortal soul, nourish an indestructible life within us. But no, our Lord will not lend his authority to those extremes of ascetic doctrine. We are to ask for bread— for the gross, palpable comforts of this transitory world. All God's gifts are good, in the natural as well as in the supernatural order. It is only our misuse of them that can make them harmful to us. All of them are good, and therefore in themselves a suitable subject for prayer. We are not to profess ourselves superior to all that sort of thing. We are not to tell ourselves, like the Manichees, that all matter is evil. Bread, give us bread. We are to come before God asking for health, for strength, for the enjoyment of everyday life, if he wills it. At the same time, I think it is a point worth noticing, that our Lord is telling us here to do something which most of us quite neglect to do, all the time. He is telling us to pray for things which are so simple and so easily come by that it is very easy to take them for granted. Those of us who have lived through the Great War and known what it was for England to be, as I think it was at one moment, within three weeks of starvation. Those of us who have lived through the strike of 1926 and wondered whether we were ever going to see a piece of coal in our coal scuttles again, ought to have learned, I wonder why we did not learn it better, that even the simplest gifts of God, those which we find waiting for us as a matter of course every morning, are God's gifts, a free present which we have no title to, no right to expect. Take the words in their most literal sense. I wonder how many of us have actually prayed to God for bread and meant it. Perhaps in our younger days, we prayed for some fervor about jam and cake when these were not incidents of every day. But bread, you could not get up much excitement about that. We need, I think, more simplicity of heart if we are to measure the extent of God's mercies to us. We need to be more like St. Francis, who hailed the sun and moon as if they were a birthday present, the shade of the trees as if it were a surprise specially arranged for his benefit. We must be content with simple pleasures before we can understand what it really means to ask God for our daily bread. And I think he meant us to see that. He meant us to see that prayer is not intended to be a desperate remedy in moments of supreme emergency, but an affair of every day, the breath of Christian life. We often come across some pious person who tells us a long story about how some object of value was lost and prayer was offered to St. Anthony, and sure enough it was found somewhere where nobody would ever expect to have found it, and we say of such people what wonderful faith they have. But surely if we really had faith, we should go about saying, Yesterday I prayed for my daily bread, and do you know, I got it. Now, I think our Lord means us to see that our prayer should be measure of our wishes, and that our wishes should, at ordinary times, be on a simple and modest scale, that we ought to be content with the things we really need, not to be always destroying our peace of mind by sighing for the things we are not likely to get, for the things which, if we got them, very likely would not be good for us. At least, let us notice this, that we are to pray for our daily bread, for a fixed ration designed for the immediate future. It's true, some scholars maintain, and I shouldn't wonder if they were right, that the true meaning of the phrase is, give us this day our bread for tomorrow. But if so, that is only a technicality of the household. In remote parts of the country, you would expect the baker to call overnight. Our Lord is not contradicting here. Rather, he is reinforcing here his own principle, that we should not take any thought for the morrow. We are to ask him for the just ration of bread, which will keep us going for the time being. We are not to be looking ahead and wondering where the day after tomorrow's bread is going to come from. Here, at least this petition, which looks so simple and so encouraging at first sight, is meant to be a warning. Our prayers, as I say, are to be the measure of our wishes. And if our Lord does not want us to pray about next week's provisions, it is because he does not want us to think too much about next week's provisions. The birds of the air do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. And we are men of little faith if we do not trust him to feed us too. That is our Lord's teaching. It is curious teaching and embarrasses us sometimes when we are anxious to urge on the young or on the poor the duty of thrift, especially in these days when government departments are busy making arrangements to ensure that we shall all get our daily bread in case of a sudden emergency. It seems almost a mockery to stand up in church. We shall be doing it at the very beginning of October and listen to the gospel telling us we ought to be like the birds of the air and make no provision for the morrow. I wonder those people who tell us it is wrong in all circumstances to go to war, because the Sermon on the Mount says we ought to love our enemies. Do not equally object to the organization of a national food supply, because the Sermon on the Mount forbids us to be anxious about the future. Some wise words from Monsignor Ronald Knox. Do not spend too much time worrying about the future. I think that's a good thing for us to remember, especially for those of us who also have a curiosity and a, I think a faith-inspired curiosity about Catholic prophecy and the state of the world and how things fit together. For our Lord would not permit mystics of the church to have visions of him and of Our Lady. Our Lady wouldn't come down at Fatima if there wasn't a purpose towards looking towards the future with what these things mean. So how you balance that, I'm not sure. But don't spend too much time being anxious about it, and don't let your faith be dictated by mysticism and prophecy. Most of your time should be spent on the now. Not so much on the daily bread. After all, you should ask the Lord to give you your daily bread. Which could, in modern terminology, mean just, Lord, permit me to keep my means of attaining a living for myself. You should be more worried about your soul. for tomorrow may be the day you stand before the just judge sobering thought, but it is the Sunday of Passion Week, and Good Friday is just a few days away. So let me know what you think of this sermon, remembering the gifts of God, give us this day our daily bread, as we look towards Holy Wednesday, Holy Thursday, and Good Friday, this last week of Lent. And let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't, it does help, as does sharing this on social media, that helps a lot too. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.